Welcome back to Making It So, um, a Get Into Geek podcast. This is episode four. I'm your host, uh, Craig, and my co-host, Matty. How you going, mate? What's up? Right, this is a Picard uh, season three, episode four, and it's called No Win Scenario. Mm. Quite a good episode, I think, but uh, we will get into that. What do you reckon, Maddie? We should get into a bit of the synopsis first. Yep, let's do it. Okay, well, we're getting straight in today. Oh, yeah. All right, so Picard, Riker, and crew must confront the sins of their past as the Titan drifts helplessly in a mysterious space anomaly. Written by Terry Metalis, Sean Treader, Akiva Goldsman, and directed by Jonathan Frakes. I think that's his first episode of this season, isn't it? Where he's directed it. Frakes? Yeah. No, Frakes, he did 17 seconds as well. Okay. I can't remember. Am I coming up? I can't hear me. No, no, I can hear you. Okay, good. That's the main thing. <laughs> well. Um, sins of their past. Are they talking about last week's episode? Is that is that the sins they're talking about? Well, before we get into it, Matty. <laughs> spoilers. For those that have not listened to this podcast before, Matty and I have literally just finished watching... The episode, mm-hmm. you know, five minutes ago, yep. and we get into heavy spoilers. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, don't watch it. I yep. don't listen to come to back. this podcast. Come back later, or if you like to be spoiled, you know, feel free to keep listening. Yeah. All right. So, what do you reckon, Maddie? That was fun. I enjoyed that. You enjoyed it better than last week's episode because last week you weren't much of a fan. I was not a fan of seventeen seconds. There were too many inconsistencies for me and out of character things. And if anything, this episode reinforced how bad last week's episode was for me. Um, okay. I, I in, like last week made the whole big thing at the end of the episode, Riker being like, congratulations, dickhead. You've just killed every single person on this ship. Fade to black. And it's like, whoa, we have never seen Picard and Riker argue like that ever before. Like that's, he went, he went to a 10 there. In terms of what he could have said to Picard, he went to a 10. So... People with PTSD. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. I'm talking about this from a writing point of view. Okay, okay? I'm talking about it from a reality so point of view. <laughs> we get we like we get all that. And we're like, fuck. These guys are gonna like, like we've never seen them argue like this. This is full on. Like, what's gonna happen? Get to this episode, and they're friends again. Like it's 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 good in that. It's realistic that they spoke pretty openly and both apologized and said, "I'm sorry," and they got. That's a real friendship. Yeah. The issue I have with it is that is some bullshit CW-style writing that they're going to make a big deal out of the end of the last episode saying, oh, my God, Riker just blamed Picard for killing everybody on the ship, even though Riker was the one that gave the command to fire the torpedoes. <laughs> um, and then this episode, it's fine. That That is something you do as an act break when you're coming back from a commercial, not an, the way you end an episode to come back next week. So, yeah. from a writing point of view, that can eat the sweatiest part of my coin slot. But well, like, slight variation on what you said last <laughs> just week. Just keeping it fresh. <laughs> um, but in terms of Picard and... And, I mean, there, there was a lot of chatter online, people going, oh, this was out of character for them, blah, 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 blah. I was fine with them disagreeing. I just didn't like the way Riker didn't own his own decisions last week. Um, so, I, th- I thought it was very on character for the both of them to... Just say, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. Let's put it behind us and get out of this. I totally agree with you that it was not 
in the normal character that you would have been used to for Riker and Picard. But Riker is quite clearly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from his son's death. And, you know, my experience dealing with uh, people at work that have got PTSD, you know, in, from my job, it it tracks that behavior. It really does. And I, I, I think, like, you know, obviously Star Trek is a bit of a a commentary on society Mm -hmm. and, you know, society is probably still going through, you know, for lack of a better word, a bit of a PTSD from the pandemic. And I think this is just, you know, Star Trek's way of keeping current. And, you know, there's a lot of people with, you know, PTSD out there from say like the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Yeah. And, you know, people that have gone through hardships from the pandemic and stuff. And it's just Star Trek keeping it sort of in our reality, but, you know, like using our, the characters that we know and love, but at the same time, keeping those characters the same that we do know and love and allowing them to apologize to each other and yeah. get back to where, you know, where we expect them to be and sort of like wrap the episode up sort of nicely, really. Yeah. Yeah. This episode did wrap things up in a much nicer way. Um, in regards to the post-traumatic stress stuff, I prefer to use just for anybody. I, I prefer to use post-traumatic stress. I don't like to refer to it as a disorder. It's actually something that Denar Visitor, um, Sort of, I learned that from her. Her son went through all that little sort of stuff, and it's just one of those things where it just sort of helps people. Like a lot of people feel a lot of stigma around the word disorder, so yeah. I, like to, I like to call it post-traumatic stress. Um, just for anyone who you know might be feeling a bit weird with Craig saying post-traumatic stress disorder a lot, I'll refer to it as post-traumatic stress. Um, I think that's just me coming from a military background. Correct, we we, yeah. we we term it as. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Um, there are some people starting to call it just post-traumatic stress. Correct. Either way, yeah. you know, for me, the terms are interchangeable and it just depends on yeah, your personal feeling towards it. Exactly, yeah. It comes down to the individual. And um, it's it's quite a important uh, subject to me personally because I have so many friends and colleagues well, that and do have it. You've lost friends due, oh. to, due to issues like that. Kind yeah, of I, like so. in my 18-year career, I've had 27 of my friends commit suicide because yeah. of PTSD or PTSD. Yeah. So it's a topic yeah. near and dear no, to my no, heart. And it's definitely worth just discussing. I just think, um, I think DS9's probably covered a lot of this ground already um, yeah. in terms of the Dominion War and especially episodes like the Siege of AR-558 and things like that. And even Cisco um, has, you know, PTSD or PTSD as well from yeah. Battle of Wolf 359. Correct, which, which we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll well. get to that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, um, I understand... I, I mean, I definitely understand what Riker is... Go- I buried my mother 18 months ago. Yeah. So a lot of the things that he was saying, I very much related to. Um, with with him, like like I said, I don't, I don't have an issue with, with anything Riker did as a character. I'm saying the writing they did and the way they structured the episode last week to this week, that was bad on the production side of things. That's where I had my issue. Okay. Um, like I said, if 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 that had been if Riker saying congratulations, you've just killed everybody on this ship was an act break, and we came back from a fade to black, and it was the final act of the episode, and they reconciled, and we, and we went straight into that reconcile episode scene, wouldn't be a problem. But for me, you don't end a Star Trek episode like that. Okay, that, that's, yeah, that's my personal. I, thing. What, I think probably if you look at it this way, where the last four episodes have basically been a four-hour movie. Mm. And I and I think that's the problem that I have is just the the new way media is being consumed and the new structure of things, streaming, must see TV, all these kinds of things. 
Um, I still miss the days of, of standalone episodes. And even if you look at something as simple as like the early seasons of Game of Thrones, when it was at its peak, yes, it was one continuing long story, but there was still a beginning, middle and end and a satisfying or, or what the fuck moment, you know, at the end of it, of the end of the episode. And then you got the fallout from, from it in the next episode. I just hated the fact that they built up these two best friends for, for 40 plus years saying the most vile thing. Maybe it's just me, but, but I think that what Riker said is the most vile thing that he's ever said to Picard in his entire life. Yeah, well, that we've seen, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then to just that not be a thing the next episode and resolve it that quickly, I think that's just lazy writing. But th- then again, you know, the future evolved humanity. Well, that also then flies in the <laughs> face of everything that came out of Shaw's mouth this entire episode. Yeah, lo- lots of l- there was a lot, lot of swearing. Even uh, mm. yeah, Patrick Stewart, you know, did a little bit of swearing in this one as well. It's like so unnecessary. Like just dropping the f bomb. Like there was there was a moment where Riker said, "Let's get the hell out of here." That I have no problem with. That is, that's a phrase. That's a phrase in our modern vernacular. Even if you don't believe in heaven and hell, like I don't believe in God or Jesus or any of that bullshit, but I'll still say, "Oh my God!" Like that's just what it is. So I have no problem with Riker saying, "Boldly get the hell out of here." Yeah, let's boldly get the hell out of here. After Beverly had said to seek out new life. Yeah, so I have no problem with that. But Picard just dropping "fucking" in the middle of of a sentence for no reason whatsoever, I don't like that. That's not me. Yeah, it might not be. Personally, I actually don't mind it. Like, to me, it grounds it more in reality, like, for, for me personally. We're watching people on spaceships 400 years in the future. How much reality do we actually want here? It's, it's hu- I, I honestly don't think between now and, say, 25, 10 or wherever, whatever year this is set, that humanity is going to change that much where we lose swearing. I don't think so. But like I said, I wouldn't have a problem if for the last 50 years of Star Trek, people had been swearing. They haven't been. They Like we spoke about in maybe episode yeah. one or two. Or probably the last two. <laughs> they, they made a point. There's that whole scene in, in um, The Voyage Home or whatever it is where they talk about vulgarity and how it's unnecessary and we've evolved past that. Um, so that's why I personally, I don't like it. Okay. The other thing, what, what, what we were talking about when we were talking about um, uh, Shaw, when I, when I mentioned Shaw, that scene of him talking about Wolf 359 was incredible. It was, yeah. He, his performance there was so, like, I was, I was very much drawn in and suckered into that. So in terms of the finished product, I was very impressed. In terms of the subject matter, that's bullshit. That whole thing was bullshit. What do you mean? Him still now in how many, what, 35, 40 years after Wolf 359, he's still blaming Picard personally for that. Like, Cisco, I kind of got. It was fresh. It was a couple of years. It was his wife. He was face-to-face with him. Fine. Like, I get it. And he was going through his own stuff and he was thinking about leaving Starfleet. He was talking to Captain Picard, the, the captain of the flagship, and he was just a commander. And so he gave him that little bit of sass and all that kind of stuff. But we're talking like 40 years have passed almost since Wolf 359. I know what you spoke about with post-traumatic stress because I feel like definitely there's an element of that with Shaw. But as the Federation by 2510 should understand the Borg a lot more now and understand that Picard 
that wasn't Picard. That was Locutus. That was not Jean-Luc Picard that did those things. Jean-Luc Picard was not... Jean-Luc Picard was taken hostage by the Borg. Yeah, definitely. And his body was used to do things. His psyche was suppressed. Correct. So the fact that Shaw is still holding on to that now, I think is bullshit. And also we're treading over stuff that Cisco already did. And I think better because it was fresher at the time. So we're, we're, re, we're retreading over stuff that's already been done. And also, I can't help, there's this little thing in the back of my head that always talks about the interviews you hear about with Gene Roddenberry and how he just talked about this idealistic future and humans are so much better. Like, the, the humans in Star Trek have gone through World War Three, the eugenics wars, and then finally find out life exists. We're not alone. Yeah. We're not alone in the universe and it brings us together. Starfleet has every single resource available to them to the point where for seven seasons in the 2360s, Picard had a counsellor sitting... She had a station on the bridge of his starship. On his left-hand side. Exactly. I find it very hard to believe that in the 40 years since Wolf 359, Shaw has not had any kind of amount of counselling and been able to work through his issues and it not been flagged by any psych eval that he's had in the last 40 years of his career and that he can't distinguish the difference between Locutus and Jean-Luc Picard. Bullshit. The okay. scene itself, fucking phenomenal. So good. The subject matter, bullshit. I don't know. I, to, to me, like, it tracks for me personally because, like, that was the defining point in Shaw's life. Yeah, you know, where he was chosen as one of the ten members to go on to that yeah, you know, that lifeboat or, you know, whatever you want to call it. All right. That changed him as a person. Cause uh what did he say? He said at some point asshole became a substitute for charm. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, at some point, yeah, he was probably quite a, a charming person as Liam Shaw. Yeah. And he really, he's got survivor's guilt and that has stuck with him. And obviously Starfleet has been through, well, not Starfleet, but, you know, the Federation and everyone involved in the Federation has been through a lot. They've been through, you know, the Dominion War, war with Cardassians, um, probably more skirmishes with Klingons. You know, if you well, follow... If you follow there was also a whole lot of loss of life at the Battle of Sector 001. Yep. When the Borg attacked again. No Correct. one seems to talk about that. That's true. That is true. But, yeah, they've also... You know, if you follow, um, like, uh, Star Trek Online, uh, they also went through the Iconian War hmm. and all that. And so that's kind of canon. I'm not entirely sure on that. But, yeah, yeah it's... I just... I humanity just... has been through, like like not just humanity, the Federation has been through so much loss mm. and like it just compounds. Like, you know, for him to go from, you know, probably the Battle of Wolf 359 was his first real battle skirmish that he's been in. Well, yeah, and like... And he, then he's been through another one he, and then yeah, another one say, and then another um, one. It was a lieutenant giving orders. So he would have been yeah. either a, an enlisted person because he just said he was like a grease monkey. He said he was a grease monkey, yeah. So he may have been even been enlisted at that yeah. point and not even an, not even an officer. Um, like I said, I just given that you know they doubled down at the start of the episode with Picard's speech to all those sort of ensigns and cadets or whatever they were about hope. The fact that Shaw has been left without hope for the last forty years 
doesn't track in universe to me. Are you telling me for the next for the last forty years, not a single one of his shipmates or Starfleet counselors or any sort of people have not flagged his Man, behavior? Honestly, so many people are so good at hiding this stuff. But he's not. He's been a dick since day dot, and yeah. all his crew hates him. People, some people are just dicks, and people get used to it. <laughs> I don't buy it. Okay, no, it. that's fair. If, yeah, if it, was, like, if it was modern day, I'd buy it. In the 24th century, or 20, no, 25th century, 26th? 25th. 25th. Um, 25th century, I don't buy it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, you and I just both watch the same episode and the same thing, and we've got different opinions on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, is great, though. Like, I've got a different perspective on life to you. Correct. Yeah, you know, but, hey, we're evolved human beings, and we can still be really good mates. Yeah, and yeah, have definitely. been for you know, twenty plus years now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like nothing, nothing you've said, I think is wrong. No, nothing you've said, yeah. I think is wrong. Yeah. All right, let's take it back to the start of the episode, though, because that that mm. was a really important point. Right. The Titan was still drifting um, in space, and you know, for lack of a better word, sinking into uh, the gravity well. The gravity well. Yeah. So yeah, essentially, it was sinking. You know. The ship is running out of power, and then we see Picard take um, Jack into the holodeck. And to begin with, I was a little bit like, well, hang on, why are they using power mm. in the holodeck? But then Maddie brought up a good point about you know, it was in a Voyager episode. Because obviously uh, Voyager for a long time in the early seasons, power consumption and resources was a very important thing when they first got trapped with the Delta Quadrant. And I can't remember the episode, but I do remember Harry Kim talking about how, you know, the holodeck is on a different power circuit and, and its own its own independent power source to the rest of the ship. Um, so the fact that they sort of brought this back. And then they up, brought that up in the episode yeah, as well. Yeah, I didn't buy the bit after it where he was like, oh, where Picard was like, oh, it's a, what is it, like a, a solace or an oasis, like the holodeck is there as an oasis. No, that, that, like, that tracked again for me because th- they want to bring... Like, because the ship was running out of power, they were cutting life support off to certain parts of the ship so they could bring all the crew into common areas, Mm -hmm. which they said. If the holodeck has got its own power source, that would be a common area. Yeah, but that's not what Picard said. That's that's later on when the other um, crew members coming in. That all made sense to me. It was the line Picard had about... Oh, it's a place. It's an oasis to come and forget. It basically said it's a place to come and forget about the troubles of what's going on on the ship during a crisis. And I'm like, that doesn't track. This is a military vessel. If the ship's sinking, you're not going to be, or you know, you're gonna be like, ah, oh, look, it's someone else's problem. I'm just going to go and hang out in the holodeck um, until someone else solves the problem. Well, yeah, I, well, did, I, did I like don't know. I, I it, again, I still bought that because you know it's a common area. Um, like if you're on an aircraft and the aircraft has problems. You know, you can't really go anywhere. The oxygen masks drop down mm. and you put your put on your oxygen mask. They don't put on oxygen masks here. They go to the holodeck to calm down. Yeah, no, nah, fuck that. No, nah, you know, you don't nah. you don't buy same it? with no, nah, same <laughs> like I, I get you, like Riker had that line earlier on where he said, All right, cut, you know, um environmental controls and life support to all the non essential areas and have all the crew group in areas. That's all we needed to get everybody a holodeck. It actually had me thinking and it's like, well, Back on Voyager, when the Doctor had to set up triages and stuff like that, it would have made so much more sense. Instead of him setting up triage in the in the a mess hall, he could have just had a holographic triage centre with as much room as he needed and all the crew could have been funnelled into there. But obviously... That's a good point. 
that obviously from a production point of view, they would still have to create a physical triage space. Whereas here, they're just reusing the 10 forward set from last season, which we're, yeah, we're seeing course. a lot more of 10 forward this this season. Than I, thought I like that would. though. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to sort of um, get all that. But um, yeah, I just, that part of it, the emergency huddling part of it, I totally understand and I bought that. It was just Picard's line. He had, I forget the specific word, but there was just that line in there he talked about just a way for people to get away from stuff during a crisis. And I'm like, no, you need to be solving the crisis, mate. Um, that bugged me. Okay, but, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the other thing that was weird is I don't know whether they were saying that, like, Shaw brought it up in his speech and then it was revamped, uh, like, brought back later on. They keep talking about this life deck. In 50 years of Star Trek, we've never heard about a life deck. No. I'd, we, I'd love to get a little more explanation of what he means by that. So I'm thinking, this is just, you know, mo- the way I'm thinking about the ship. Mm. I would say that like the lifeboats or um, the life pods or whatever you want to call them on this ship may be on a specific deck. But is a, is a life pod any different to an escape pod? Escape pod, yeah, like the well, same thing. We've seen... The Obviously, de- we've seen the Defiant, Voyager, and the Enterprise E all launch their escape pods, and they launch from all over the ship. Yes, but what I'm saying is maybe this ship has only got like the one deck that's got them on it. Well, that's fucked. Yeah, I know it's a dumb. silly, it's a it's silly stupid. design. Yeah, because it's like there's there's no point going. Oh, I'm on deck 15, and life deck is on deck two. Fuck, I need to get to the entire other end of this ship. Right Potentially slide. crawling through Jeffrey's tubes. Yeah, for fucking forever. <laughs> like mention the Enterprise D. If you're down on fucking deck 42 and they've got a life deck on deck 10. I was 10, just thinking that, 42 decks. Yeah, and you're on deck, oh, deck 10 is the life deck. And the guy on deck 42 is like, well, fuck me then. I may as well just stay here. Maybe it's because the... As opposed to escape pods that would be all over the ship. Or yeah. You just get to the external part of the ship to your closest escape pod. I don't like it. Yeah, okay. Well, like you at the beginning you said you liked this episode. There's and there seems to be lots of not liking I'm so just, far. I'm just very nippy. There's so many good things about this episode and then they just stumble at the last minute. Just and maybe it's just me being too finicky and, and too like nitpicky, but it's like just little things bug me. Like the fact that when Shaw's like working on the nacelles, he goes, Nacelle one, blah 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 is all done, blah blah blah. It's like you mean the port nacelle? Like, in 50 years of Star Trek, it's been the port nacelle and the starboard nacelle. So why would he not just go, port nacelle sorted, working on the starboard now. Why this fucking nacelle one? Like, what? Like, to me, on aircraft, you know, engines are... Na- we're not on aircraft, yeah, mate. We're I know. A, we're on a starship. I know, but maybe that maybe they've gone through a change of um, doctrine and stuff and they're changing the name of things. Stop, because trying, to, stop trying to defend shitty writing. <laughs> That's just shitty writing. That they're just it, like the fact that maybe Terry, it was always shitty writing before, and now they're fixing it. <laughs> well, but, but it's like you've got fifty years of canon. Like, there's so many Easter eggs in this, and so many cool little nods. And he's getting so wound so up. So many things to it. It's like it's like they get the hard stuff right and the easy stuff wrong. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I, I could definitely see what you're saying. You're saying. Yeah, I think I'm probably just a little bit more open minded to change than what you are. Like, there are a lot of. Star Trek fans who, are, you know, are not open to change. They really are. Like, well, like not, when, it's when not it change, it's just like, get it right. If, if I was watching season seven of Star Trek Voyager and Chakotay said, oh, I'm going to go down and work on Nacelle 1, I'd be like, mate, what? 
It's the Port Nacelle. Like, it, it has been. Gene Roddenberry was a Navy man. That's why we use all the Navy stuff. Fucking, his, yeah. his son is an executive producer on all these shows. Correct. Like, people. Sort it out, Roddenberry. Sort your shit out. All right, so, um, yeah, when the Titan was dead in the water, uh, Riker and Picard had a bit of a, uh, a powwow, a bit of a chat in mm. the captain's ready room. Yeah, where Riker, you know, he admitted he was wrong. Like, you know. Well, they both did. Like, yeah, they, both they apologized. Yeah. And they did. And it, yeah. it was it was a nice character moment again to see, like, two friends that could, you know, really have a pretty bad disagreement and get pretty angry at each other and show a lot of disrespect, but then be able to come back to each other, like, essentially maybe an hour or two later, if that. Even less than yeah, that. Yeah, and... And actually be like, you know what? You're pretty much my best friend. Yeah. And Sorry, bro. Yeah. My bad. Heat of the moment. Said things I, I didn't mean. And we've all done that sort of stuff in our own lives. Like yeah. in the heat of the moment, said something that we didn't really mean or was, you know, probably a bit more harsher than what we should yeah. have said. And being able to come back and apologize like that, I think that's a good lesson for everybody. Absolutely. I just wish it had come at the end of last week's episode, not the start of this one. Yeah, but hey, yeah, we at least we got it. Yes, correct. That that, that is the point. Correct. Yeah. And I think it has then between that and a few other moments with Riker, I think it's probably put to bed the idea we had last week that you you, you sort of were the first one to think of it is that Riker is a changeling. I think we can move away. Yeah, from I that don't. Now. I don't think that he is anymore. Yeah, now that we he had that really heartfelt moment of like recording a goodbye message to Deanna. Oh. Um, and a few other moments through the episode. Yeah, well, um, well, well I, th- well, I think we can put that put that aside. Now. Where Riker was talking about uh, burying his son, and you know, after like everything that him and Jean Luc have seen throughout their career, and in the stars, like they've not seen anything that would suggest to them that there's an afterlife. Mm. Yeah, and then Riker burying his son. You know, like for Riker, that was like my son is actually gone, and you know, I've not seen anything that suggests to me that there's an afterlife, and that was really sad. You, or didn't you pick up on uh, that? No, no, I got you that. Go you just clicked something in my brain because um, since last week, I did actually go back and watch Nepenthe, which yes. is my, which is probably the only episode of season one and two of Picard I'll ever go back and watch. <laughs> it's beautiful. I fast forwarded through the XB stuff, um, and just 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 watched the stuff that happened on Nepenthe. So it is a little bit more fresh in my mind where they talk about Thad being born on the Titan. They don't say he was born with the condition that he died from. No, they it don't. Was, it was a bloody bloody blah, um, such and such. He contracted it, and the only way there was there was a very easy um, cure, which is that they had to take a sample of his blood and run it through a positronic matrix. But because of the synth ban, yes, they, could, they couldn't do that. So they went into Penthe because it had natural healing properties, and it didn't work. So just when you were talking about uh, Riker and burying his son and not having seen anything in the world, like in the universe, that could have cured... Or sorry, the, the, give the, it the, an afterlife. Give him a sense of an afterlife. It got me thinking, because when we see Riker and Troy on Nepenthe, they give the impression that they are very happy. They're living... They're, like, they're, they're dealing with loss. Um, Deanna and, and Picard have this great scene where, you know, Deanna basically says, oh, look, we're, we're dealing with it one day at a time. Last week would have been Thad's 18th birthday. There's We don't know when Thad actually died. We don't know how, how long ago he died. All we know is that Picard showed up a week after his 18th birthday and he's already dead. Um, he said, you know, 
uh, Kestra is, you know, slowly working through it. Like the, the sense of loss is getting less and less every day. Picard has this really poignant moment where he says, which must hurt you even more. Yeah. Alluding to the idea that, well, she's an empath. So every day she's sensing her husband and her daughter getting better which then probably gives her mother's guilt of like, oh, and just reminds her that her son isn't there. So when you were talking about uh, what, you know, Riker's speech, it just had me thinking maybe Riker's post-traumatic stress or whatever it is kicked in after the events of season one when the synth ban was lifted. Oh, yeah. Because the synth ban was what was preventing them from saving Thad's life. If they'd have gone through all that before Thad had passed away and the synth ban had been lifted, they could have saved his life. Yeah. So maybe that just activated wow, that's deep. other feelings in Riker. So maybe it was post-Nepenthe that he, st- he the feelings that he spoke about that he had to get away, like he was running away from. Yeah. Because the lift of the synth ban maybe brought it all back up for him again, which helps me by the way they were in Nepenthe to where they are now. Even oh. though we don't really know how much time technically has passed. Um, because we find in this episode too that Jack is actually like, tw- what do you say, 23, 24 yeah. is what Picard surmises. So it's been, I guess, in universe, it's been a little bit longer than it has been in real life. Because Nemesis was 2002. Yeah, somewhere when that When there, that yeah. came out. So that was only 21 years ago in real time for us. Um, but obviously, Picard and Beverly had Jack after Nemesis at some point. So, but Picard says, oh, what are you, 22, 23? Which is good. That's a bit, little bit older than we thought he was last week. 23, 24. Yeah, right, yeah. Not, as, not as old as he should be, um, given he's almost our age. Yeah. But that also then helps with the, the big reveal right at the end of the episode where we've been jumping back five years to, to this this moment of Picard um, in 10 forward talking to these, you know, junior officers, cadets, whatever they are. The 10 forward bar on earth. Correct. Um, and at this point, that would have been when Picard was like fully retired, still not happy with stuff. Because remember when we, when we picked up at like the first episode of Picard season one and there was that, um, the interview that he did, the whole gotcha interview where they were trying to get him. Oh, yeah. News, and he was still pissed that at like Starfleet. That, like, Federation News Channel thing. So he technically, at this point, still would have been pissed at Starfleet, but I thought it was a class act that even though Picard would have been pissed at Starfleet, he still took the time to inspire all these young officers with hope. You know, I guess in his mind, hoping that they would turn out more like him than what Starfleet currently was. Well, and, yeah, he was obviously... I don't think he was specifically there to do that. He was there to visit Guinan and it just happened oh, to he be... he was just having a meal. And yeah. They, they, all, they all rushed up on him. That was, yeah, that, they just sort of... Like he, he's like a, a Starfleet hero. Yeah, they spotted a celebrity in a bar and it's, it, it was the 25th century version of them coming and asking for a selfie. They were like, can we get a <laughs> selfie, Captain Admiral Picard? Um, but obviously, yeah, we, we, we jump back to that scene a couple of times through the episode and then right at the very, very end, it's revealed that Jack has been sitting behind them at the bar the whole time. So that kind of does track to what we were talking about maybe last week or the week before where, okay, so maybe Beverly did tell Jack about him when he was about... Because five years ago, he would have been 18. If he's 23, 24 now, five years ago, he would have been 18. And that that tracks. So that tracks with what I was saying about when when Beverly told Wesley about the message that she had from From. his father was when he turned 18 or whatever it was. Um, So that's a nice little touch. That sort of cuts through. But then obviously there's the just devastating blow at the end where Picard's just like... 
oh, Starfleet's the only family that I've ever needed. Where, yeah, because yeah, Jack was in the bar, so Jack did actually come to yeah to meet him like incognito. Yeah, which you know, I'm, I like I look at that and I'm like, yeah, all right, he's gone that whole point in his life and never met his dad. He's yeah. obviously now knows who his dad is and was like, I actually want to go meet him. Yeah. But then doesn't tell him who he is. And then like, uh, like honestly, like, and then Picard thinking back to that time. Yeah. Like that heartbreaking. was heartbreaking for Jean-Luc. But also like mother, like son, Jack was a dick to do that. Yeah. Um, I have this thing. Learned behavior. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I forget where I learned it, but it was basically, um, it was a line from something and it says, it's not nice to test people when they don't know they're being tested. Yep, that's brilliant. Jack was testing Jean-Luc without Jean-Luc knowing in a public setting in front of a dozen cadets or ensigns or whatever they were. Um, so it's like, yeah, Picard would give that response. If Jack had shown up to Chateau Picard, knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm Jack Crusher, son of Beverly Crusher and Jean-Luc Picard, Jean-Luc would have given him a very different response. Oh, definitely. So um, it's almost like Jack was like there to like have an excuse for hating him. Yeah, like I think he, he was genuinely curious, went there to suss him out. But you can't hate the man when he doesn't know you exist. Correct. Um, Jack did the wrong thing by doing it that way and almost then created... He almost he sabotaged himself by, by creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. He's like, oh, this Picard guy's probably a douche. Why else hasn't he been around for the last? He artificially years created of my life? animosity. Correct from himself. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, yeah. it's not cool. No, I mean, obviously, he's a little eighteen-year-old dickhead. So you know, and he's he shares chromosomes with Wesley Crusher, so we know that he can be a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Wesley's super smart. Yeah, but we, I mean, we all do douchey things as teenagers, so it's it's a lot for a child to like to expect from them. Um, but yeah, it's obviously one of those sort of writing tools where it's like, it's, it's heartbreaking because they did it. It's good TV. It's good TV at the end of the day. Cause it's like, they did it to themselves. If it, it reinforces what I think a lot of my favorite Star Trek episodes sort of, um, put forward is it's like communicate. The more you communicate with people around you, the less chance there is of someone misunderstanding you and, cause, oh, definitely. and causing an issue. So it's like. Just be forthright with people. Put it out there. Give people the hard truths um, and you'll be better for it in the end. Like, especially in the sort of society that Star Trek is set to where mm. there's so many different alien races and stuff around as well. Like, mm. a lot of people's communication is not just verbal. Yeah. Like, obviously, we've got the universal translators, which translates what you're saying verbally, but communication is so much more than what it actually comes out of your mouth. It's yeah. all, you know, like your mannerisms and everything as well. So you'd think that, you know, especially Starfleet officers would be used to communicating in such a way to get Definitely. their point across, yeah. like in a way that's not going to be offensive to other aliens and stuff. Yeah. And that would just become part of their normal Highly life. Highly educated and more emotionally intelligent as well. Yeah. You know? Emotional um, intelligence is very, very important. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess, you know, Wesley, uh, not Wesley, Jack may not have that, but like, I think that's why I have an issue with the swearing because I'm like, if you're not a Starfleet officer, fine. If you're a Starfleet officer, no. Like, because you should be beyond that kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, Jack not being a Starfleet officer, it's like, okay, maybe he not, might not be as emotionally intelligent and he does talk about how he's been an, a loner, an outsider his whole life and all that kind of thing. And, and obviously 
Beverly hiding him away. And, and like, Beverly w- ostensibly would have lost almost her entire social network as well. In oh, terms she of, did. Of cutting out the entire crew of the Enterprise. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. It's I, I want to, you know, see more of it. Um, There's a lot of depth, like a character depth in this episode. Yeah. yeah and I'm, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I love it, which is I think depth. why I hate it when they stumble with the really easy stuff. Because, the yeah. you know, the other stuff, they're, they're knocking out of the park. Yeah. I'll reinforce it, though. We'll move on to some other stuff. But the Jack visions at the end can eat my ass. I hate it. I, I, I don't hate it because I don't know what it is yet. Like... There's not to me. There's no reason to hate it because it's just like, what is it, and is that connected to why Vatic and everyone is after him? If it is, that'll be why I hate it. It's just a writing trope that I hate. That okay. It's like he's 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 the MacGuffin, and he has visions that are going to move the plot forward at some point. But that we're not going to get those visions. He's not going to understand those visions until the exact moment the plot needs it. I'm hoping. That yeah, it, it's not such a such a bad writing trope, and I'm hoping you know it it it, it comes out nicely. I'm hoping, but let's move on. Uh, seven of nine, you know, oh. Commander Seven. You know she's off looking for the changeling. Now I know they mentioned the uh, so Shaw gave a good description of changelings because Seven was in the Delta Quadrant during that whole. Yeah, thing. yeah. And, and so she, she doesn't, she's not dealt with changelings before. She had that before. line, she's like, I have no idea what a changeling is. But Shaw has, because he was involved in the Dominion War, yeah, obviously. He, been, he, he was serving in Starfleet. He might not have been a captain at that point, but he would have been serving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's got some sort of experience. And he was looking on a pad and getting some information off of there. Yeah. And I know there was one thing that you had a problem with, and it's mm. I missed it because... It's been a long time since I've seen I'm those discs. I'd love. I'm actually going back and rewatching all of these because you know, my life has been super busy the last 18 years, and I have, haven't had a chance to watch as much of this stuff over and over. Yeah, like the, I have with say Stargate and stuff. Yeah, because um, yeah, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Stargate since what we were, you know, when did it come out? Ninety seven, yeah, ninety seven. Like so I've yeah. been watching that constantly since then. Yeah. You're also much more open minded in terms of other tracks. Like you enjoyed Enterprise. While, I did, and I'm rewatching while, Enterprise now. While you were watching Enterprise, I was rewatching DS Nine and Voyager because I couldn't stand Enterprise. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of those episodes a lot more. So yeah, they But I think we both equally hate Discovery. Yes. Um, <laughs> just can't can't go one episode without just put just jamming in there just but a little. Hit where where I was going with uh, what they were looking at on the pad and uh, Liam was talking to Seven about was the pot. Mm. Now I know you had a specific sort of problem with that, so yes. you want to explain that for our listeners. So we we do get a, a point there where where Shaw literally like we see it on screen and it's so lovely because we got the shout out to Odo, unnamed a couple of episodes ago with um with Worf. He shows the pad and it's got a little picture of Odo and a picture of his pail, which anyone who's watched a lot of DS9 will know from the first couple of seasons, pre pre the beginning of season three, I would say, um, Odo used to, every 18 hours, revert to his gelatinous form and sit in a little tub in the in the corner, a little pot in the corner of um, security. And that was a pot of Bajoran design that was given to him by Dr. Maura Pohl, his ostensibly father. Yeah. After the search at the beginning of, of season three, where Odo finally meets the changelings and the founders on their homeworld, when he gets back, that's that's the Omarian Nebula. <laughs> um, 
once he gets back to Deep Space Nine in the episodes following that, and he now knows more about his people and where he comes from, he requests quarters above Cork, uh, just to of annoy course. him, <laughs> and then proceeds to replicate all these wild and wonderful apparatus and and sees shape-shifting as the experience the way the founders do. He just, if he needs to regenerate, he just oozes around the floor. He basically had a sex swing in there, didn't he? Pretty much. Well, yeah, especially <laughs> especially during the Dominion War when the female changing showed up and they legitimately fucked in yeah. his quarters. She's like, oh, that's how the solids do it, is it? Um, so we then jump to the point where this changing on the Titan basically has a knockoff pot that looks like Odo's pot. It did look similar yeah. I'm like, that makes zero sense. Zero sense. A, for the changing to have a pot, because that is specifically an Odo thing, and B, like, use it and then leave remnants in the bottom of it. Yeah, that I didn't get. Yeah, like... Like, that, like the, the pot, I could, I could kind of let that go because... Maybe Shaw doesn't know as much about the changelings as we thought. So he was reading and he'd only got to that part on the pad where they'd spoken about Odo's pot. It's a nice fan servicey moment. I just didn't want the actual changeling himself to have a pot because then it became a nothing issue because Seven finds the pot. There's remnants in the bottom, which there shouldn't be. Odo... Odo and she's going to get it scanned. Yeah, and that's the giveaway, and then it gets vaporized. So the um, the changeling ended up vaporizing a part of himself or themselves or itself. Um, but there's specifically a scene um, where Bashir, back in DS9, is asking for a sample of Odo's goo because he wants to test it. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no the, one has the, the ever doctor used is asking for a sample of goo. No one's ever used the term goo to refer to sperm. You're fine. <laughs> um, because he wants to test it to see if a way he can come up with a way to like make whatever synthetic organs he needs in triage situations. Yeah. It's a very specific scene. He's like, just a little bit more. And uh, Odo says, I'm going to want that back when you're done with it. Odo is very protective of his entire being. So it's like... His bit. Yeah, so it's essentially like if we got out of bed and left like our toes in bed, like that's that's what they're saying this changeling did with this residue that he had in the bottom, like that they had in the bottom of, of the, t- the pot. The other problem that I had is, and you and I spoke about this during the episode, we had to pause the episode to discuss it. We actually paused this episode quite a bit a to lot, discuss things. A lot, I was getting Much very, more than we normally do. Yeah, I was getting very nitpicky. Um, again, a specific scene with Odo where, you know, it's when we find out that changings have infiltrated Starfleet the first time before the Dominion War back in, like, Season 4. And they're trying to find ways to scan and test. That's where they come up with the with the phaser sweeping and all that kind of thing. Because Odo specifically says, if I'm a rock, like, if I morph myself I scan into a, as rock, a rock and you scan me, all you detect is a rock. So, so I understand Shaw's plan of, like, okay... Scan the goo that's left in the bottom of the pot. That'll then we can adjust the sensors to scan for that goo. Well, that's great, but that's only going to work while the changeling is regenerating. And see, this is where hours. we disagreed. And I don't know you think they should have explained this on screen, but mm-hmm. for me, you know, as a fan, like I think us as fans, like it, we put together our own theories and our own explanations for things. So my explanation for that was 
that Starfleet or the Federation have the female changeling in holding somewhere after the Dominion War. And they've probably, you know, been using her to figure out a way to be able to detect them. I see that. I, I see you reaching to uh, well, defend I, I, bad writing I, uh, or, or make up excuses for things. Um, one, we have a treaty with them now. It's like, like Odo went and took over the Great Link. Yes, but she's still in holding with the Federation yeah, somewhere. We know that. But the, un, until, you know, Worf didn't give us a timeline of when the other group of changelings separated from the Great Link and became Which their own Which Starfleet road. has kept secret. That they know about. So so that part would make sense that they would be, you know, scanning the female changeling and trying to, you know, find out, you know, counter-changeling ways. Exactly. But if if we can do that, then the changelings, changelings are no longer a threat. If we, if we can scan changelings when they're not in their gelatinous state, they cease to become a threat. Only if we're scanning all the time. Which well, every ship has internal sensors. Starfleet Command has, it has sensors running through the entire place. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so it's like if, if you are a changeling and sitting in front of me right now and I can pull out my tricorder and scan you and tell that you're a changeling, then the changeling's greatest weapon no longer works against us. God, if I was a changeling, my greatest weapon would be bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. Sorry, crass jokes. I knew it. I normally save them for the end. I knew it and I fell for it anyway. (laughs) Liam Shaw, sitting in, laying in his quarters, Mm. sharpening a rather large knife. That was a cool looking knife. I liked it. Was it, do you reckon it was like a cooking knife or was it like a killing knife? That was a killing knife. Okay. As someone that has... Several killing knives. That <laughs> that was a killing knife. It was pretty cool. I mean, I have, I have quite a large knife collection myself, and that was a cool looking knife. And that wasn't the only knife we saw in this episode either. Correct. So the plot thickens. It does. So we saw another knife with Vatic. Mm. All right, and she pulls out this knife, which looks suspiciously like Shinzon's knife. Yeah, the jackal. Now, then. Right, she uses it to cut her own hand off, or what we think is her hand. Mm. And for a split second, I'm like, oh my God, it's it's going gooey. Vatic is a changeling as well. Yes, but that hand seems to be part of a changeling. Yeah, it then just like starts hovering in the air, turns into a like gooey, sinewy face, and then asks for a status report on what's going on. And Vatic's whole demeanor changes, and she's very quiet and submissive and very much almost afraid of, it's almost, of this changeling. Now that I think about it, it's almost like when that changeling is attached to her, it is imparting a part of its own personality onto her. Maybe because, yeah, my first thing is, and again, being the DS9 stand that I am, there's elements where there's literally an episode where Odo turns himself into a glass. And he can still onto, hear what's going on. on. Onto a platter. Quark and Rom walk it in and do something nefarious. Odo is aware and can hear the entire conversation that went on. Even though he doesn't have ears, as that glass on the table, he could hear everything that was going on. So if this part of a changeling or whatever that's posing as Vadic's hand this whole time is on her hand, it should be aware of everything that's going on so it shouldn't need a status report. Yeah, but I think maybe it's just doing it as a like an intimidation type of thing on her because her whole demeanor went from that crazy, 
you know, psychotic bitch yeah. to this like scared puppy almost. I, I just think it was the term status quo. He could have he could have done what he did and gone, you're failing me. Like they could have skipped the status report line and just gone straight into why haven't you secured the objective? Why haven't you blah, 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 blah. Like could have been going up. Just asking for the status report is, is the only thing that graded against me because it should be aware of everything that's going on around it, even though it's it's existing as a hand. Right. We, we, we might get into another one mm. of my little uh, theories here because, you know, oh. it seems to be none of them have actually panned out so far. <laughs> but that changeling face, mm. me personally, I'm thinking that there's a connection to Lars somehow. And I know you don't yeah. necessarily agree with it. Um, I, I like it. There's a lot of throwbacks and, you know, yeah. little, like... I'm hoping that that is something like that. It was something that I wish we'd addressed more in Deep Space Nine in that we know that Odo was one of the hundred. Yeah, actually, yeah, you should probably explain a bit more about Lars. So the founders launched a hundred baby changelings into the universe. Baby goo. Into the galaxy, obviously from the Gamma Quadrant, and Odo reached all the way to the Bajoran wormhole, like the the Orias belt where he was found. So they're literally all over the Milky Way galaxy. It was fast goo. Yeah. I mean, he could have been, like, popped through the wormhole. The, the, the insinuation is that he ended up popping through the wormhole, ended up in the um, Orion belt. Uh, Orias, Orias belt, I think, is the asteroid belt in the Bajor system. Doesn't anyway, matter. Um, then in Season 7, we meet Lars, and he is another of the hundred who was sent out. He's very much like the founders. He's mistrusting of solids. Yep. You know, tries to spend some time on Deep Space Nine, kills a Klingon while he's there, um, and a... And a Hilarity ensues, uh, and Lars decides, Odo, what are you doing? You're gonna out these. It's he, to him, Odo is living with ants. He's just like, what are you doing? Living like you are so far beyond these things. At the end of the time, he, Odo says, No, I've cho- I've chosen the solids. I chose the solids against my people. I will choose. I will choose the solids over you as well, Lars. Lars says, Cool, peace out, bro. I'm gonna go find the other ninety-eight of the. Hundred. And then we never see him never again. See him again. So I like your idea that this offshoot group of the new, like this rebel great link, I think that would be really, really cool if it was in the last 20 years, Lars has found the other 98 and they formed their own little sub link. Yeah, and then they've gone to the founder homeworld. This is where it becomes too much of a stretch for me. Okay. Because I like the idea that the last time we saw Odo, he was curing his people and Worf told us last time that at a certain point, a group of uh, a group of changelings said, "Nah, fuck you, Odo. We don't like this. We want to keep Dominion strong. Whatever." That's why I'm thinking Lars is involved. And well, no, and they they separated and became their own thing. Um, Lars was never a part of the Great Link. Lars was never there. He went off searching the Alpha and Beta Quadrants. The only way he could have gotten to the Great Link would be to go through the wormhole. Yeah, and going back to the Great Link trying to live with them with the rest of the hundred that he fa- potentially found, yeah, lived with them for a bit and was like, nah, don't like this. We're breaking away. And some others potentially went with them. It just seems too complicated to me. Just either have it be a group of, of changelings that separated or have it be Lars and the other 98. I just, you know... I it just seems to... Over- you just think there's probably one extra step in there that's yeah, not yeah, necessary. Okay. In, in a similar way that we had to get the bucket to get the goo to get the changeling's attention to be able to shoot it, and then it got away anyway, the bucket's now gone. The bucket and the goo are gone. It just it was an unnecessary step 
that steps on cannon um, to to draw out the changeling. Yeah. Surely there could have been a better way to draw out the changeling. So in that same way, um, I just find it's an unnecessary step. Maybe if, yeah, maybe Lars could have eventually come back and gone to the Great Link and then took people with him. But I don't want him to have found the 98 and then gone to get his people because Lars didn't seem to have any interest in the Great Link from when he melded with Odo and they shared everything. He didn't seem to have any interest in them. He had more interest in the 98. So I find it would be weird from a Lars point of view to go and spend however many years finding the other 98 just to then take them all to the Great Link that he had. No I don't know. I guess we'll, so we, we'll get some sort of resolution or answer yeah, at least by yeah. the end of the season. But, yeah. but you are right in that the, the weird floaty sinew head did look a little bit Larsy. Just, yeah. you know, just the, maybe the jaw shape. But that's also Martok. The guy who played Lars also played Martok. So if they don't get J.G. Hertzler back for that, that's rude. Is he <laughs> still alive? Yes. Yeah. Yes? Okay, cool. Yeah, because he, he did some voice work on Lower Decks. Oh, he did too, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's still well. kicking around. Um, There was some actually really good sci-fi in this episode. Um, mm. And by that, I'm talking about the powering of the ship using the pulse from the nebula. Yes. That was brilliant. So good. And just out of left field, it's like, because this was a long episode. This is maybe the longest episode it's of Star Trek 61 minutes, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, like over an hour of Star Trek. That's awesome. But at some point at like the halfway mark or whatever, we kind of just, we forgot about Vatican the Shrike. We forgot about all the problems everyone's having. Beverly, the voice of reason, it's like, let's all just trust the fact that We've been training our whole lives to be the best of what we do. Let's just fucking do this. Let's science this shit. And they scienced the science. And that was so cool because it just, I wasn't expecting it. It came out of nowhere. Actually, before we get more sort of deeper into that, I think we need to just go back a little bit mm. where I was like, I think because once we saw Beverly again, she was counting down before like the pulses. She was sciencing shit before so, anybody else. What so I straight away I was like that to me seems like contractions and what brought me to that was Beverly's a doctor mm. right doctors like count sort of things like contractions and things like that and obviously science officers do that as well yeah but there was no science officers involved in this at all in like well no i mean obviously and like uh, to, to what's me, her name Tavine or whatever the the science officer on the bridge the half delton vulcan she's ship. one quarter delton um she's <laughs> she, yeah she's busy on the bridge she doesn't have time to do this sort of thing so it was a really cool way to just reinforce the fact that like they did last week beverly knows her shit yeah she was the head of starfleet medical um so the as a commander that, yeah and it's like i think even by like I think we as the audience had only experienced maybe like the second pulse and she's already counting and she's like three, two, one, boom. And it's and it's like, how the fuck is she predicting these things already? Like yeah, she like, was onto it quick. To, to, to me, I was just like, yep, she's a doctor. You know, it's all, I don't know. It's like counting contraction times and stuff. I was like, it's got to be like, yeah. and they said that the nebula was alive. Yeah, which they established back in like episode two. Yep, so and I was then just like, down again this episode. I was like, maybe it is a birth, and it did. It ended up being yeah. like a birth, which I thought was really cool. That's fun. But yeah. to, to to use the shock wave of that birth to ride the wave out like a boogie board for yeah, you know, I thought that was super cool sci-fi. Yeah, absolutely. But then, what I really thought was cool 
Riker had learnt from where Vadic had thrown um, the Ilios into him using the tractor beam. So as he was, his motion was going on that wave, he asked if there was still power for the tractor beam, powered the tractor beam, grabbed an asteroid or a meteorite, and then like grabbed it from just behind the ship underneath and then used the momentum to sling it forward and let go of the tractor beam and threw that massive asteroid into the strike. Just be like, that was brilliant. Let's see how you like it, bitch. Oh, and it was huge too. And it, yeah. it smashed into the front of the Shrike. And it, it didn't seem, it, but it did a, looked like it did a lot of damage on the, or not a lot, like a decent amount of explosions damage. Explosions on the external and they lost attitude control. But inside the bridge, of... there didn't seem to be a lot of like exploding consoles yeah. and like stuff that we normally see in Star Trek. Now, I mm. personally think that's because the bridge is probably deeper inside the ship than, say, Starfleet yeah, ships are. Because yeah. th- that's a, to me, that's a design flaw in Starfleet ships, which is why I guess the battle bridge on the Enterprise D mm. is deeper inside the ship as yeah. well. Oh, that's why I love like the the Defiant and the Nova class vessels, where it's like the bridge is inside. Kind of yeah, down. yeah. No, I do love that. Um, but yeah, I thought that, that was, was that fantastic. was all like that whole scene, that whole sequence. Yeah. Brilliant sci-fi. The fact it's, that it's Riker's funny. learnt it, great. Yeah, and a shout out to Mitch because uh, what it gave me vibes of is the one of the final scenes from Galaxy Quest where oh. Tim <laughs> Allen is like, and what you fail to realise is my ship is pulling mines. And then he like jumps out of the way and just like, just unloads all these mines that he's been dragging the whole time. But at no point does, was, I, was I looking at this when Riker did it being like, ugh, Tim Allen did it first. It was just... It was just because it was that great cathartic thing of, well, if she's going to throw a ship, then he's going to throw one back at her. And he even, I mean, he did everything short of like winking at the camera as yeah. he did it. Because Beverly even did the, the throwback and she's like, did you just throw an asteroid at them? He's like, you're damn right, I did. Yeah. It's like, yeah, go. That, oh. yeah, no, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And really enjoyable. Uh, um, back onto Shaw and Seven. Like Seven's gone and um, grabbed Shaw to use him and his knowledge of older style uh, warp nacelles mm-hmm. um, to help open up the nacelles so the power can come in. But at the same time, uh, Seven has had a conversation with Riker and they're luring the changeling in. Yeah. And they've kept ev- they've told everyone to like stay away from where they are, right? We, we, we get a shot of the bridge and we can see, you know, Riker. We can see Picard. We can see um, the Bajoran um, operations dude. Moura, I want to say his name. But I know his first name's Matthew. Yeah, because he's got a human name. Yeah, yeah. He was a Bajoran. Apparently, according to maybe Twitter, it was Terry Metallus or someone, um, said, yeah, so his backstory, in the same way Taveen is, you know, one quarter Delta and three quarter um, Vulcan, um, he was a Bajoran raised on Earth. So a lot of people are, th- are theorizing that. That's um, why he's got his earring on the other side. Yeah, potentially. And he's got a human name and his first name is first. It's like, you know, Lieutenant Matthew something Mura. Um, people are also saying potentially he was like, because um, if you if you work out his age and stuff, he could have been like a Bajoran refugee before yeah. uh, before Deep Space Nine was, well, like when Deep Space Nine was still Empok Nor or Terok Nor. Terok Nor. Um, yeah, so he could have just been like this Bajoran refugee that was raised on Earth, and now he's in Starfleet. But then the other person that we see still sitting on the bridge, working her ass off, mm. Sydney LaForge. Yep, Jones just got that just got that pee break a little while yep. ago, and he's back at her station. But where I'm going with this, we see that that pan across the bridge, and then we go back to Seven and Shaw down in uh, like what they call it, nacelle control. control. Yep, and then who rocks up straight away? 
Sydney LaForge. I'm Jordy LaForge's daughter, the greatest engineer of all yeah. time. I can help. And then, yeah, Seven's like, well... You well no, sh- Seven was hiding. Oh, she, she talks to her, doesn't she? No, no, no. That's after, oh, that's, no, that's, that's right, yeah. the phaser on her. Yeah, that's right, yeah, because, yeah, she's talking to uh, Shaw and then Seven comes out with the phaser and mm. sticks it at her and then she's like, uh, it's me, Commander. Like, what are you thinking? Oh, it's me, it's me, it's me. She's like, yeah. What do you call me? Or no, something. Commander Who. Commander Who, that's right. Commander Who. And she's like, uh, Commander Hansen. And then Seven just boom. blasts just her. Just not even a split second, just boom. Because as away. we know from last week, um, Sydney calls Seven Commander, Commander Seven. Seven as and a respect thing. Yeah, and, and Seven even says that to sure. Yeah. Because she respects Basically me. Basically calls him a dick again. Yeah. Um, something I thought was interesting, though, is obviously last week when Worf used his Nemesis-era phaser on the Changeling, the Changeling exploded. That Changeling, dead. Seven appears to have maybe only stunned this yes. Changeling. Because and then it kind of, it did the weird bubbly, gooey thing, and I thought, oh, it's about to just, like, turn to whatever. Like, but, yeah, it didn't nothing. look like, it didn't sort of, like, turn to full goo. It just laid there. No, and, and he, well, it, then it, it gooed. Well, it gooed and then coalesced back into Sydney. Sydney. But just with like the color of the face was slightly off and the eye color was different. Yeah. So potentially that changeling isn't dead yet, and we might. Well, it, we saw it go. No, no, that was earlier on. That was that was when it was the guy in the corridor when they when they destroyed the. Oh the yeah, it was yeah. You're right. Gooed into the things. No, the 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 change as of the end of this episode, the changeling is. I actually think she's just stunned it, mate. Yeah, unconscious. Um, in there. So that's what I was getting to. Is that. Potentially, we're going to get to see some kind of interrogation of this changeling uh, in the next episode because, yeah, it looks as though Seven has just stunned it and not killed it, which is clever on Seven's behalf. Yeah, one other another note that uh, I kind of missed here was when the Shrike went back into the nebula, it ejected something, and that's potentially the like the portal wormhole weapon thing. I think so. Um, I'm assuming we'd have to freeze frame it to, to see for sure, but. Um, as far as I can tell, the changeling hand was like, get in there and get, secure the objective or whatever it was, talking about Jack. And she's like, nah, bro, we can't um, because of this weapon and the the energy well, oh, sorry, the gravity well is going to affect it. And he's like, go and get it. And she's like, okay. And she says some crazy, bye, whatever, as she's walking back to her chair. So I'm assuming from context clues that, yeah, they've ejected the portal weapon. Thank God, because it's the stupidest thing they've <laughs> ever done. Um, so that she could go into the um, the gravity well to go and get um, Jack. But yep. it, yeah, it's, I, I, I wish we knew more about what the point of all that was so far. Like her toying with, like she was quite happily toying with them in the nebula and like, she had them. Like, she used the portal weapon last week, the four torpedoes. Yeah, like, what's him, the plan here? Threw them into the gravity well, and then she just banked off right and and pulled away and let them go and do that. But now we're seeing this, like, well, no, she needs whatever's on that ship. Which And the whole first half of the episode is, well, they're going to die. They're going towards its gravity well. They're going to explode or whatever. So what's... And, and if she wasn't going to eject her weapon, she was never going to get them. So I don't. I I, I want to know more about Vadik's plan or, or Vadik's boss's plan, and what that all means. This changeling hand. Yeah, for her to for her, what she's doing now to make sense. It was fine. Like 
it was fine. When was she first introduced? Like end of episode one, beginning of episode yeah. two. You know, that was her big maniacal and calm-like and fun. That was like three hours ago yeah. uh, in terms of how much Star Trek we've seen. So, yeah, I'd like to get a little more at that point. And, yeah, obviously we get away at the end of the episode and Picard does a very old-school style, like, captain's log type thing um, and literally says, oh, for now it you know, appears we've gotten away from the sh- uh, Vatican and the Shrike, but it's not the last we've seen of her. So, you know, she's going to be back. But... Yeah, I wish I knew a little more about this plan, given that um, next week is the halfway point. That's episode five. Yeah, next week is. Um, there's still a, a couple other little scenes I'd like to talk about, like mm-hmm. great character moments and character building Fantastic and stuff in this episode. Um, I liked where Shaw was talking about, you know, like the Battle of Wolf 359 and all that sort of stuff. But then as he's talking about it, you can see like that dead stare that he's got. And like, Mm. you can hear like Borg sounds and stuff like, as we can sort of like hear in his mind and things like that. I really loved that. That was, that was great. And then I've already made my feelings on that. I know, but but then, uh, yeah, yeah, no, he was was fantastically acted and and really, really good. He said like, uh, Picard was the most deadly Borg that they gave him a name Mm. or something along those lines that I thought that was, yeah, that was good, and yeah, as you said, the acting like brilliant. Yeah, phenomenal. Like, like that I, I've was... never actually really seen um, the actor who plays uh, Captain Shaw in anything else. I'm not that I'm picking up no. when I can think of, no. but he is brilliant. He's I... actually like as much as the character's a dick, like fantastic. He's, he's so a great good. actor. I do believe because uh, the uh, show Terry Metalis used to run uh, Twelve Monkeys. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't believe, seen that. I believe yeah. the guy playing Shaw was an actor in that show. He's brought in a lot of people from the Twelve Monkeys into this season. Even um, uh, the guy playing the Ferengi that had his head cut off. Yep, that actor was one of the main characters in Twelve Monkeys, and was also Pyro in the um, uh, X Men movies. Uh, it was that actor. Um, so, yeah, he's bringing in a lot of um, 12 Monkeys actors, which I, I think is a cool touch. That shows it's yeah, like... A lot of directors and showrunners and stuff do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, we see that, like, all the time in things like Stargate. And yeah, Stargate, Joss Whedon did it a lot. Um, Bill Lawrence does it a lot. Bill Lawrence has, like... Um, he's obviously really popular at the moment with Ted Lasso and something else, but he also ran, like, Cougar Town and Scrubs. And, yeah, a lot of crossover using the same actors and all that kind of thing, so... But- one of the best character moments I think we saw in this episode was right close to the end there where Riker was actually talking to Deanna. Because yeah. early on he was basically leaving like a in-case-I-die message and didn't want the ship to get blown up because that message would get blown up yeah. too. Yeah. And Deanna would never know like his feelings and all that sort of stuff. But mm. now that the ship has survived, which, you know, thanks to you know Riker and everyone really worked as a team to get yeah. that out of there, which yeah. is great. Beverly got them to like get over their bullshit and just work together. Yeah, and as a team yeah, again. that really was Beverly, wasn't it? That yeah. did that. Voice of reason. But then, yeah, Riker actually got to sit down in the captain's uh, ready room and call Deanna and actually have a heart to heart with her. Yeah. And she was like, oh, that's like the nicest thing. Like, you've said you've to me, said to me in a long, long time, time. Like, it, it was it was nice. It was just a yeah. brilliant character moment between those two characters who have, you know, been in love since, you know, like basically Riker's Academy days. Yeah. yeah and they've had on and off relationship. Then they got married. Yeah, what, you know, what a wolf scene insurrection. It's like, you've always had these feelings for her. This, exactly. This planet just They're Imzadi. Yeah. They're Imzadi. Yeah, and, you know, just, you can see that that 
love is there and no matter what, I think that they're able to work through anything, which I think is great. Well, and we do know from the trailers that at some point, Deanna is with them all. Um, so maybe there's, there's that line she has at the end. She goes, what kind of trouble are you and Picard in or something like that? So maybe what we don't see is that's, that's her sort of call to action and she decides to go and meet up with them or maybe she just meets up with the Titan when it gets back to space dock and, you know, to have a, a loving, you know, um, reconciliation with, with Riker. Um, or Cap- I guess he should be still be being called Captain Troy, shouldn't he? But oh well. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Commander Troy, <laughs> <laughs> Captain Troy. I think he said Commander at the time. Oh, he was he? still a Commander, wasn't uh, he? Oh, I thought. It was yeah, right just after the they got married. Oh right, it's been a while since. Or I've before seen they got married. Yeah, no, yeah. I was still Commander at that point. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, Deanna's going to get into the action at some point. So let's, yeah. Now that I guess I'm assuming we're heading back to to Earth to space dock. Maybe next week we're going to get some Geordie and we're going to get some Deanna. I um, hope so. I really no, do. No, um, no Wolf and Raffy this episode either. No, no, and yeah, like, as much as I love the dynamic between those two characters, I think it would have been too much to add them in or add any other Next Generation characters in because there was so much going on, so much cool sci-fi and... Yeah, yeah. I I think it works. At the end of last week's episode, Wolf's like, yo, Raffi, we partners now, let's go um, check out the Dacem Institute. So I'm assuming while this is going on... Well, yeah, we still don't know what else was stolen from yeah, the Daystrom Institute. Yeah, that's and what, that's what they're going to be investigating. So I guess um, while this is all still going on in the nebula, um, Worf and Raffi are like jumping on the last Serena and they're on their way to Daystrom, which is going to take... A cert- it's going to take time. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to see maybe next episode, season, maybe, or maybe episode six, um, the whole team will get back together. And then at some point from the trailers, we've got to um, got to go and see Law at some point. Oh, I wonder if he's going to be at the Dacer Institute. Well, we've also got to see, uh, was it Professor Moriarty as well? Yeah, I wonder if they're at the The Enterprise Dacer. F, we're still going to see that. Yeah. I wonder if Moriarty and Law are at the Dacer Institute being studied. Maybe that's where we'll pick up and see Maybe them. Law was the one that was broken out. Or maybe Geordie is actually, maybe Geordie's bought Law out of the Daystrom Institute and put him back together because Geordie didn't really get to say a proper goodbye to Data as well. Mm. Maybe he thinks that he can get Data's memories back into Law and change Law or something. Who knows? I'd like to see where it goes. I guess it depends. We also don't know what happened with B4 in terms of like maybe Geordie and B4. No, B4 was in pieces. Yeah, but at at the end of Nemesis, B4 is given all of data's memories and starts wandering off humming blue skies. But didn't we see B4's body in pieces in the drawers at the Daystrom Institute in season one of Picard? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's been 20 years between Nemesis and season one of Picard. So I'm saying, yeah, we don't know what happened with B4 in terms of all that. And maybe Geordie got his farewell to Data through B4. Yeah, okay. If, if, If I had the choice, if I'm friends with Data... I'm going to choose B4 to talk to you before I'm going to choose Law. Oh, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because obviously, yeah, Data and Geordie were besties. Yeah, they so, really, really were. Yeah, like, absolutely. But, you know, probably, you know, the last, I guess, controversial thing for you, Maddie, and, mm. like, for me, I'm still, like, open to this and I don't know where they're going with it and I've got no idea where they're going. Um, Jack, at the end there, he's having, like, those visions and, like, struggling with Ew. those... That like red spidery web thing and, and the red door. Hate it. Like I, I don't know what that is yet. Um, I don't know. Yeah, as you said, you hate it, but mm. you know, like to me at the moment, 
there's nothing to hate. Like as long is if it doesn't turn out to be the Red Angel type of thing, that'll be great. And I don't think it will. But at the moment, I don't know what it is, so I can't hate it. When I say Red Angel, I mean the Red Angel was a vision that propelled the plot and only gave it to us in dribs and drabs until we needed to understand what it was. Okay, so that's how you're... D- okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying a literal, like, Burnham, a copy of Burnham's it. mother in a spacesuit is going to show up back. in the future. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I hate the trope of, oh, he's having visions. They're going to be really integral to the plot, but not until the point that we actually need them. I hate, and, I hate and that And I think kind of this is why um, Vatic is after Jack. There's some, there's, that's going to yeah. be the tie-in, like, why. Is, yeah, is the, the red pustule weird, whatever you want to call it, organic matter that... It's the, almost like tree roots that are red, like, growing out of the well, roof I'm or just something. Thinking, does it potentially look like organic in the way that the, the changelings... Because the, the, the new look of the changelings is like... It's like it's like offcuts of meat. It's like fat, yeah. and sinew, and so it's like, is he connected to these changelings in some way? I don't know, but it, as far as we're aware, these visions only started after he was exposed to that radiation gas, whatever it was. We don't know yet if he's been having these visions before that near death experience, or yeah. it's only just new. If it's just new, it doesn't make sense that it wouldn't be connected to the changelings trying to find it. I don't know. There's a weird red door. I hate that kind of shit. Lazy writing, CW writing for me. With that yeah, kind of I, I don't know what it is yet. So I, I'm open to see where they go with it. I hope they do a good job with it. Yeah. Like, because that whole episode I thought was great. Um, great sci-fi, great character moments, um, like good learning, like, um, you know, as I said, Riker throwing that asteroid meteorite that into the other ship. Um, the forgiveness between Riker and Picard, um, Riker coming to terms with things and speaking to Deanna, like so much great character development there. Yeah. Um, there was Shaw a moment, and Seven talking. Yeah. There was a little moment that you liked that I found a little bit meh, which was the reveal that it's like the nacelles on this Titan are like 20-year-old nacelles. Yeah, okay. So, um, Which I get it from a writing point of view. It's like it's a way to give Shaw agency, get him involved in it because he, he has a special set of skills. Uh, so <laughs> he's needed to, you know, tech the tech to get us where we're going. And it helped that you had seen something away yeah, from I, the show. I saw a picture. I'd seen a picture that, say, I think it was one of the art directors or something had put out on Facebook or Instagram or something like that where they had the old Titan next to the new Titan being built and it looked mm. like they were taking parts off of the old Titan, which was mm. pretty badly damaged and destroyed and re-putting them into the new Titan, which fits because earlier on they were in the, I think it was episode one, they spoke about um, Riker's music was stuck yes. in the ship's computer Correct. on the bridge and yeah. Shaw had to purge it out. But we were also confused about that because we're going, well, this is the Neo-Constitution class. What's you know what's going on with all that kind of thing? So I think it's... It's, it's almost like the Titan A is a bit of a bitzer ship. Yeah, which I think is something... I think it's the responsibility of, of the creators of the show to put that in an episode. Like, we shouldn't have to rely on... 
little bits, things they post on Twitter or reading a book or a comic book or watching a video online. That seems to be a really common thing, though, with writing in movies and TV shows and stuff these days. And I, I love it in terms of the way it expands the universe. It's great. But you shouldn't have to, you know, consume three different forms of media, like something written, something posted on Twitter and watch the show itself to fully understand... No, but I, 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 so I think I, that is just for the fan, like the actual big, deep but, fans like us. But who am I? I'm a big, deep fan. And I saw that and I went, why the fuck would this old ship, but it's a new ship, have 20-year-old nacelles on it? Um, I think it's just the casings of the nacelles, right, really. But it was it was very specific to Shaw and his experiences. which And it's a, so it's a Constitution-class ship. But the nacelles are from, uh, uh, what's what was the a lunar, a lunar class? A lunar class. The lunar class was Riker's was it sh- Yeah, it was a lunar class. Yeah. yeah, the lunar class was Riker's ship. Yes, he would have known those nacelles very well as well. So it's not War, a specific. Yes. It's not a specific thing that Shaw would have known if they're old. So when I watched the episode, my head went to because it was established he was a a monkey. Was it a, a grease monkey? Grease monkey. Um. Back during Wolf 359, back when there were Miranda classes and Constitution classes and stuff like that, my mind went to, well, those nacelles are from an old Constitution class or something like that. And that makes sense to me that he would have that particular bit of knowledge. Yeah, but the, the time, yeah, it doesn't but really make sense. That's longer. why they said 20 years. Yeah, correct. And so I'm just like, so we had this kick-ass lunar class ship that we as an audience have never seen in live action, only in animation and books and comics and stuff like that. Which was cool. Yeah. <laughs> but then we're going to do this weird neo-constitution thing where we're going we're gonna to use frames and design parts from a constitution class, but then we're going to slap on some lunar class um, nacelles and call it a brand new top-of-the-line ship? Yeah, I, like... I. <laughs> It's not something we've really seen from Starfleet before. Like, we're used to seeing, like, they've gone from, like, the Constitution to, mm. uh, was it the Excelsior? And then we get yeah. to see the Galaxy class I and mean, then the Sovereign class. We're, we're always seeing this new stuff. Mm. Now they're talking about not just using new stuff, but, like, re- it's recycling old parts of old ships. Which, and, like, well, we I mean, only that- got, like, one of each class, but the class is got a different name to the yeah. actual ship and I mean I mean recycling ship parts does exist in the Star Trek universe but it's always been background ships so it's like the nebula existed not the hero ship of the series yeah, yeah. like the nebula existed because it's a galaxy class dish but the 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 back part of a nebula was originally designed to go and retrieve a galaxy, galaxy class after they had to source separate and the, the star drive section has exploded. But then they turn it into its own ship. They turn it into its own ship. Then you've got like in the background of DS9, you've got the Jaeger class, which is like, it looks like an intrepid, but then it's suddenly got like marquee fucking wings on the side of it. And then like, you've got the Miranda class, but then there was also like um, the USS Bozeman when it came through from a different time period. Yep. It was a Miranda class, but had all these different guns on it. And it was a different kind of ship. That made sense back in the 80s and 90s when they were literally just kit-bashing physical models. Yeah. Um, so, flashing forward to now, it's a little bit weird that we're doing it for our hero ship. But what I did like is I did read that 
they actually did make a physical ship of the Titan. There's a physical model of the yes, Titan. Yes, and they, they had shooting. that. There was some sort of um, Star Trek cruise that happened in the last week or so. Yes. And they actually had that physical model oh, really? on the cruise. That's yeah. cool. And, That's cool. you know, the actor who plays uh, Captain Shaw, he was on the boat. And yeah, I think cool. Gates McFadden and a few others I were there. Marina, Marina was there. Sirtis was there. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it looked like a fun time. Yeah. yeah full of a whole bunch of nerds yeah, like so, us. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And, if, and like I said the other week, if, if you get a kick out of... Ooh, excuse me. If you get a kick out of the Constitution-class ships and all that old sort of nostalgia stuff, great. You enjoy that. It's not for me. But no, that's, I, that's I like seeing I'm, the new I'm stuff a, as well. I'm not upset at it. Um... That's for that's for other people to to enjoy. So cool. That's, the, that means there's something for everybody in in these episodes, which is good. Now that I think about it, this using parts of other ships things may come from Star Trek Online because I know when you're building your ship on Star Trek Online, you can take like certain parts from other ships and add them in, and yeah. you know, like basically really modify your ship up. Like the Odyssey class has then got like a a variant of the Odyssey class. I can't even remember what the other variant's called. And then there's another variant of that as well. So it's like basically the Odyssey class has two other variants of it to give three totally different variants. So I think I think that's where it comes from. Yeah, and, and that's an extension of... You know, of extension saying, of canon, the, the kit, kind of. The kit bashing yeah. of, of all, the, all the old ships in the 80s. Yeah, because most of it's like all that, digital so. now. So Yeah, well, I think uh, Voyager was the last ship that there was actually a physical model of. Uh, Enterprise, there was never a physical model. A of filming model, yeah, yeah, um, that that they shot off. So, um, and I don't think they did anything for the JJ stuff. Um, and yeah, as far as Picard goes, this is the first um, physical model that they've that they've used it, which explains what we were talking about last week about all like the the ship porn, you know, shots of it. Yeah, it makes sense now. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's been a physical model. Okay, well, so that's the end of Picard season three, episode. Four, no win scenario. Next week's episode is called Imposter. Mm. Uh, there's no synopsis up uh, yet on IMDb. So obviously we'll just have to wait okay. till next week on that. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe Imposter refers to what we were talking about earlier with um, the, the changeling potentially surviving. And it'll be an interrogation of the um, of the changeling back at Starbase yeah. or something like and, that. Uh, um, no win scenario has currently got a 9.2 rating. Yeah. Uh, actually, 9.3 now. Out of over seven hundred uh, votes on IMDb, little little tidbit too. Obviously, we alluded to it last week with you know no win scenario being you know Kobayashi Maru. The Kobayashi Maru. This w- had nothing to do with Kobayashi Maru. No, it, it had to do with um, Picard and, and Jack in their in their shuttle. Jack Senior. Jack Senior. Um, and uh, getting some tail. Yeah. Possibly quite literally if they were aliens. So. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although quickly, I wasn't a huge fan of the Herogen. Um, oh yes, there was that reference, wasn't there? So little, little drop at the start uh, the, when the cadets come and talk to they. One of the first questions they ask Picard is about yeah a oh, Herogen encounter with Picard. Yeah, and they were pretty deep in the Delta Quadrant, weren't they? Yeah, I mean there is you know in the Herogen episodes you do actually see like how far a ship travels and how far they will travel for the hunt. It's obviously been you know, I mean fifteen years at that point because it was it was part of the five year ago um, flashback when he was talking about it. That was right at the start, yeah, where the cadets came and asked yeah. him about it. So potentially, you know, they've made their way. Because I think, you know, in Voyager, they, they had even made it as far as the Beta Quadrant or something like that um, in during their hunting. So it, I guess it made sense that at a certain point, you know, Picard post-Nemesis would have met up with them. But then he threw the line out that Lieutenant Commander Worf was there and, you know, tech the tech to help him out. 
But at the end of Deep Space Nine, Worf went to Kronos to be the um, the, ambassador. the fe- Federation ambassador to, to Kronos. So I'm like, oh, it's just another one of those things where it's like it's it's a it's a cool Easter egg, and it's like, hey, I'm a Voyager nerd. I know the word Hirogen. Yeah. Yay. But it's like, but wait. So it was just that one extra n- unnecessary step of throwing Worf in there as well, which now is establishing that at some point after Nemesis, Worf was still serving on the Enterprise under Picard. Mm. Didn't like it. Now that we've heard that, though, I hope there's, there's a writer out there that writes Star Trek books that mm. actually writes about that encounter. Yeah, well, That would be cool. I want to know more. That would be interesting because, yeah, obviously I was very confused in the first few episodes of Star Trek Prodigy, which takes place in a similar timeline to this, because there was like Kazon and Tellarites interacting. And I'm like, when and where the fuck are we? Yeah, well. Um, but obviously they explain that as the show goes on and there's been a little bit of overlap, overlap and that kind maybe of thing. Maybe this Herogen thing is something they could explore in Lower Decks as well, because Lower Decks is set back just like after Nemesis yeah, sort true. of time. Yeah, true. While um, Riker is still in charge of yeah. the Titan. Yeah. So the Herogen were a great villain. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like, all about the hunt. Them. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And given that, you know, the resolution that Janeway kind of left him in the Delta Quadrant with was Federation holodeck technology that they, they fucked around with and made it lethal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it would be interesting to touch base with um, characters like that in the future. Anyway, um, Maddie, where can we find you on socials, mate? Uh, you can find me at HighPitchMaddie on Instagram at H-I-G-H-P-I-T-C-H-M-A-T-T-Y. God, he's getting good at spelling. Yeah. Straight, just rolling off the tongue. Uh, and you can find myself at Geek in Camo on Instagram. And I even started up a Facebook page for, for that one this week as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Still been in my DMs. Tell me if I'm being too nitpicky. Um, am I holding it a too high regard or what? You know, I'm curious. He likes it when people slip into his DMs. I love it. Yeah. Anyway. Have, have nudes ready. Feet pics or just nudes in general? Nah, I'm not into feet. Send, send Maddie feet pics. No, send Craig feet pics. Send Maddie send, feet pics. Send me proper nudes. <laughs> All right, that's about it from us. We will see you guys, girls, and binars and no, 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 everyone else. Um, oh, you figured it out? Uh, ironically, it's got a Stargate crossover. I went and found the episode. What is it called? They're called Janai. Oh, really? Yes, the characters with no gender from Next Generation that Riker falls in love with are called the Janai. So let's call everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, and Janai. Girls, guys, and Janais. Okay. Girls, guys, and Janais. There you go. You heard it here first on the Making It So podcast. And we're out. Picard!